we decided that during this month of December, that we would, our theme is going to be the hope of Christmas. And so I'm going to kick off that series uh, this morning because uh, we've been talking about hope a lot. And I know Pastor Brad last week talked about hope. And I'm going to kind of jump off on that uh, theme today and take up where he left off. But Father, we just thank you for this time that we meet together. Lord, we're not coming to hear the voice of a human. We're coming to hear your voice this morning. You do have a message that I believe will penetrate the hearts of your people. And we've come not only just to worship and thank you, Lord, but to look into your word. We value your word. We appreciate and prize your word, Lord. It is truth and it is life. And Lord, we want that truth and life to be built into our lives. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here in this place. You're in me, you're in each one. You're here to open up the word of God. To reveal the truths of the word of God. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you'll give me utterance, that you clothe and possess me. And that the words that I speak will come from the very heart and throne of God in Jesus' name. So I want to talk about the hope of Christmas. And my subtitle this morning is Hope for the Hopeless. So we're going to talk a little bit about hopelessness and how to turn that into hope. But uh, I have actually have three points that I want to bring to you. But I'm only going to bring two points to you today. And we'll save one for later. But I want to talk about two different things that Jesus did when he came on earth, even as he left heaven and came on earth, he had a purpose. And one of those purposes, main purpose, is to bring hope to mankind. Because all of us were in a hopeless condition before Jesus came. All of the world was in a hopeless condition. Uh, Colossians 1.21 talks about being alienated from God. Ephesians 2.12 talks about we are in the world without God and without hope. Um, we don't have that. Okay, there we go. And at that time, we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a hopeless situation. Jesus came to bring us hope. Because And so the first thing we're going to talk about is he came to bring us eternal hope. The hope that's on the other side of the grave. Because uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If we only have hope in this life, then we are 
all, of all people most miserable and to be pitied. I've got news for you. This life isn't all there is. On this side, it's not all there is. There is a destination on the other side. And sometimes we kind of like to sweep some of it under the rug. Yeah, we like to talk about heaven, but we kind of keep silent about talking about the hopelessness of hell. And I just, I just kind of want to start there. We're going we're gonna to get better as we go along, but I'm going to start with hopelessness, the hopelessness of hell. Uh, I don't know how many of you have read uh, the book, Divine Revelation of Hell by Mary Baxter. Have any of you read that book? Okay, we have a few. Uh, this lady was uh, taken to hell every night for 40 nights. Jesus would appear, take her to hell, and she did a tour of hell. And she wrote this book. And I mean, the first time I read it, I was just like, oh my goodness. No wonder Jesus wanted us to know what hell was like. So I just want to read a little excerpt from it uh, as they were going through hell. Uh, there was different pits in hell, and in this next pit was a woman on her knees as if looking for something. Her skeletal form was full of holes. Her bones were showing through, and her torn dress was on fire. Her head was bald, and there were only holes where eyes and nose were supposed to be. A small fire was burning around her feet. She clawed the sides of the brim, brimstone pit. The fire clung to her hands, and dead flesh kept falling off as she dug. Tremendous sobs shook her. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, she cried. I want out. She finally got to the top of the pit, and I thought she was going to get out, but then a large demon with great wings that seemed to be broken at the top and hung down his sides ran to her. His color was brownish black, and he had hair all over his large form. His eyes were set far back into his head, and he was about the size of a large grizzly bear. The demon rushed to the woman and pushed her backward into the pit and fire. I felt so sorry for her. I wanted God to take her out of there. Jesus knew my thoughts and said, My child, judgment has been set. God has spoken. Even when she was a child, I called and called to her to repent and serve me. When she was 16 years old, I came to her and said, I love you. Give your life to me and come follow me, for I have called you for a special purpose. I called, all, I called her all of her life, but she would not listen. She said, someday I will serve you. I have no time for you now. I have a life of fun. Tomorrow I will. Tomorrow never came, for she waited too long. The woman cried out to Jesus, my soul is truly in torment. There is no way out. I know that I wanted the world instead of you, Lord. I wanted riches, fame, and fortune, and I got it. I could buy anything I wanted. It wanted. I was my own boss. I was the prettiest, best-dressed woman of my time, but I found I could not take them with me in death. Oh, Lord, hell is horrible. 
I have no rest day or night. I'm always in pain and torment. My sweet Lord, if only I had listened to you, I will regret that forever. All God drew me with cords of love, and I thought I could use God like I used everyone else. Oh, how wrong I was. Because Satan began to use me and began to serve him, I began to serve him more and more. I loved to sin and would not turn to God. Even then, God continued to draw me, but I thought, I have tomorrow or the next day. Then one day, while riding in a car, I was killed in a terrible accident. As she spoke, her bony hands and arms reached out to Jesus, while the flames continued to burn her. Jesus said, the judgment is set. Tears fell down his cheeks as he moved to the next pit. I was crying inside about the horrors of hell. Dear Lord, I cried, the torment is too real. When a soul comes here, there is no hope, no life, no love. Hell is real. No way out, I thought. She must burn forever in these flames. I shared that with you because this is the hopelessness that every one of us would have experienced if Jesus had not have come. But Jesus came. And if you'll remember, when Jesus was born on this earth, do you remember what the angels said? I was just replaying that in my mind one day recently, and one word stood out to me. The angels said, peace on earth and good will to men. And I thought about that good will. You know, God is such a good God. He loves people so much. And sin had taken mankind captive. And because God cannot tolerate sin, then judgment was coming on all that had sinned and come short of the glory of God. Which, according to Romans 3.23, says, We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God's judgment was on us because of sin. But when Jesus came, the angel says, now there is goodwill. In other words, he's saying, now you that are sinners and you that have sinned, now you have hope. And according to Colossians 1, uh, I'd like for you to put up Colossians 1, starting in verse 20. Uh, I want to talk about what actually took place so that we would not have this helplessness and hopelessness in our eternal life. And God purposed that through and by the service or the intervention of him, the Son, all things should be completely reconciled back to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, as through him the Father made peace by means of the blood of his cross. And although you at one time were estranged and alienated from him and were of hostile attitude of mind in your wicked activities, 
Yet now has Christ, the Messiah, reconciled you to God in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you holy and faultless and irreproachable in his, the Father's presence. And this he will do, provided that you continue to stay with and in the faith in Christ, well-grounded and settled and steadfast, not shifting or moving away from the hope which rests on and is inspired by the glad tidings or the gospel, which is good news, which you have heard and which has been preached as being designed for and offered, hallelujah, without restrictions to every person under heaven. You're all invited into this hope, this eternal hope. And how do you get there? Well, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, this is the way you do it. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth or your lips that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart believe, adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. What are you saved from? What I just described in this story. For with the heart, a person believes, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on Christ, and so is justified, declared righteous, acceptable to God, and with the mouth he confesses, declares openly, and speaks out freely his faith and confirms his salvation. So this is the way we move into that hope. And I, I just have a tiny excerpt from a, a story uh, called uh, From Life After Heaven by Stephen M-U-S-I-C-K. He describes he died and he went to heaven. And he describes heaven kind of, you know, there's a lot of books about heaven. And um, I've read a lot of them. I've got a whole shelf full of books of people that's been to heaven and back. It's my favorite thing to read about. And most of them use a lot of imagery where they talk about all of the beautiful buildings, the streets of gold, all of the wonderful wonders of heaven, the flowers, the fountains, the mountains, the, the sea, the, the streams, and all the wonders of heaven. But Steve kind of uh, actually uses, he, he shares more of his feelings when he's in heaven. And let me just read this to you real quickly. The light is brilliant everywhere, astonishingly bright. I'm surrounded by a profound sense of abundance, completeness, and of perfect completeness. In the background, I hear a glorious symphony of music. The vibrancy of every aroma is incredible beyond words. I feel absolutely held and absolutely free. I physically feel God's security, like being inside pure joy in a place of explosive peace. This peace is not just a lack of conflict. It's something at a deep level 
that reassures all is well, everything is okay. Heaven is physically real. In fact, it is more real than the world I have known. My senses are brilliant and deep. I stand in the meadow and think I must be dead. But joy floods all over me. If this is the end, I'm liking it. Oh, this is good. I feel more deeply than anything I've ever felt before. This is the finish line. As I was reading that, I thought, what a contrast between the hope we have in Jesus and the hopelessness we would have if Jesus had not come. Are you thankful for Jesus? This morning, uh, I, I'm not gonna fi- I haven't finished my sermon, but this, right now we're going to do, we're going to take communion because I want us to recognize the hope that Jesus brought into the world. And in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, as we look through uh, verse 24 through 26, Paul writes, he, he, he kind of reiterates what Jesus said uh, at the Last Supper. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to call me affectionately to remembrance. Similar, when supper was ended, he took the cup also, saying, This cup is the new covenant ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to call me affectionately to remembrance. We're going to do that this morning as I've shared with you about the hope that we have. It's because of what Jesus did and because of his blood. And so we're going to acknowledge that as we take communion this morning. And I'd like for you to stand with me. Now, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I feel, I feel like that probably every one of you have done what Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10 says. You've confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I want us to just reiterate that this morning before we take communion. And if there's anybody here that you have not actually done that, and as I was reading about hell, you're not sure if you would not go there. You're not sure if you would go to heaven. Then this is the opportunity for you to move into that hope and move into Jesus. But the rest of us that have already done that, we're going to do it again. Just to confirm it. And so if this morning, if this is the first time you've ever done this, after the service is over, I want you to go up to one of our prayer team and tell them, I prayed that prayer for the first time, and I'm on my way to heaven. But you confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. So I want you to all say this with me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for bringing us hope, for delivering us from the hand of the enemy, and giving us a hope of heaven, giving us that blessed hope. And so I just confirm right now this morning that I believe in my heart 
that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, it meant that he paid for every one of my sins. So because of that, I accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice for me. And this morning, I make Jesus Christ my Lord. Jesus, take my life and do something with it. I declare you are my Lord and I will follow you for the rest of my life. And I declare that I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you did not know beforehand that you were born again, now you are. I just want to announce to you, now you are. But you need to confess it before men. So I would like for you, when, when the service is over, at the end of this service, that you come forward and that you uh, tell one of the prayer team what you have done. So this morning, we're going to take communion, and it's going to be a remembrance of that hope that was brought to this earth on that wonderful Christmas day when Jesus came to deliver us from the hand of the enemy. Hallelujah. So uh, we have the ushers up here. We also have uh, our jars that uh, whenever we do communion, we also bless the poor, bless the needy, bless a, a, a ministry here in Guyman. And this morning it will be for the Hope Pregnancy Center. What a wonderful job they are doing to save the lives of unborn babies. And we want to be a support of that. So uh, if you have a, a extra cash, um, whatever, put it in that and we will use it for that purpose. So I would like for all of you to, uh, Eugene, you start here, uh, Rod, and I, how does that work? Okay, okay, Rod, you, okay, we're going to go this way. And uh, Sarah, would you start over there? Also, you will notice that there are two cups. Don't just get the top one. Get two cups, okay? Because we have the juice in one. We have the uh, wafer in the other one. You need both of them, okay? Praise you, Lord. If you'll just hold your communion elements, we're going to take it all together. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the goodness of God? All our lives, He has been faithful. All my life, He has been faithful. All my life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
you would like someone to bring communion to you, would you hold up your hand and Larry will bring it back to you? Um, anybody that needs brought to you? faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we don't take communion just as a sacrament. We don't take communion just as an ordinance. We don't take communion just as a habit. We do this on purpose because we want to remind ourselves over and over and over what Jesus has done for us brutal things that he went through in order to rescue you. Do you know that as I was reading about that, those episodes in hell, Jesus suffered that for you so you would not have to suffer it. That's how much he loves you. anybody else need to uh, do you all have your communion elements anybody that does not have okay so father as we get ready to partake of these communion elements we do it on purpose to remember our precious savior first of all we take the wafer Representing the body that was broken for us so that we can have healing. That the curse would be broken over our bodies. We remember that, that Jesus, you took the curse on your body. You took those stripes. Your body was broken so that we might be healed. And now we partake of the juice representative of the blood of Jesus. Representing that wonderful hope that you gave us when you came here on this earth. Hallelujah. You gave us that hope that we don't have to worry. When we take our last breath, we will be with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Father, our hearts are lifted up now in thanksgiving and praise. you loved us so much that you made this kind of provision for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We do love you, and we know that you love us. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. That was point number one. Point number one, Jesus came to give us eternal hope, but how many of you know that in this life, sometimes we tend to move into hopelessness because circumstances can seem so hopeless. I want to talk about the hopelessness of circumstances right now and how Jesus brought hope into our circumstances. So I want to start uh, by just defining hope. Pastor Brad defined hope last week as a uh, confident expectation 
According to the, the scriptures, and especially Amplified, it adds one word to it. Hope is joyful, confident expectation. It's being joyful in the midst of a situation that might look hopeless. So we're going to talk about our uh, circumstances. Uh, but we're going to talk about hopelessness first. I just want to define hopelessness also. Uh, when you feel hopeless... It's a feeling of despair about something. It's kind of like you're, it makes you uncomfortable, it's not good, and you don't think it's ever going to change. And that always, always, always leads to depression. I don't know how many of you here this morning has experienced depression. I could probably say most have experienced that kind of depression before. I know when Brad married Tammy uh, many years ago now, uh, she's, she was an incredible woman. And if you know Tammy, you know she is incredible. But uh, I was talking about depression. I don't know what this conversation was. And she said uh, to me, she said, you know, I don't think I've ever been depressed. She said, I was bored once. But I don't think I've ever been depressed. Now, I don't know if that still holds today because now they're in the ministry and pastors. But we all are going to have that opportunity to feel hopeless. So I want to talk about how Jesus brought into our situations hope. Because once you have hope, you might not see the end results yet, but once you have hope, you've got your moving into God's flow. Now, I, wanna, I want us to look at John 16, 33. We have some good news and we have some bad news here. So, I have told you these things. Jesus is talking. So that in me, you can have perfect peace and confidence, or we could say you can have hope. Now, in the world, now this is the bad news. In the world, you have tribulation, you have trials, you have distress, you have frustrations. But then he says, okay, be of good cheer. Yeah, right. I've counseled people that I say, be of, I mean, I haven't literally said be of good cheer, but I'm trying to cheer them up. And they say, but you don't know what I've gone through. Jesus is doing the same thing. He said, be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. And right there, you could take your circumstances, you could go home and say, now I have hope. Because he said, I, I have deprived it, whatever circumstance you're going through, I have deprived it of power to harm you. Is that good news? Yes. If we just only knew what to do with it. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, I have a statement that I wrote down. It's not what happens to you that determines whether you have hope or become hopeless. It's how you process it. Now I ran across a little, uh, I ran across an article. It's called The Cockroach Theory. 
So uh, at a restaurant, a cockroach suddenly flew from somewhere and sat on a lady. She started screaming out of fear with a panic-stricken face and trembling voice. You can go ahead and put up that picture. We need a visual. Ew. <laughs> I'll let you absorb that for just a minute, then I'll go on with my story. With a panic-stricken face and trembling voice, she started jumping, waving both of her hands desperately, trying to get rid of the cockroach. Her reaction was contagious. Everyone in her group also got panicky. The lady finally managed to brush the cockroach off, but it landed on another lady in the group. Now it was the turn of the other lady in the group to continue the drama. The waiter rushed forward to their rescue. In the process of ridding herself of the insect, the cockroach next fell on the waiter. The waiter stood still, composed himself, and observed the behavior of the cockroach on his shirt. When he was confident enough, he grabbed it with his fingers and threw it out, the re- out of the restaurant. So the question is, was the cockroach responsible for the lady's dramatic behavior? If so, then why was the waiter not disturbed? He handled it perfectly without any chaos. So it was not the cockroach, but the inability of those people to handle the disturbance caused by the cockroach that disturbed the ladies. So it's not the shouting of your father your boss, your spouse, that disturbs you. But it's your inability to handle the disturbances caused by their shouting and dis- that disturbs you. It's not the traffic jams on the road that disturbs you. But your inability to handle the disturbance caused by the traffic jam, that's what disturbs you. It's not the problem, it's your reaction to the problem that creates chaos in your life. So the lesson that we can take from this, this cockroach, which is no longer up there, you should not react in life, but instead respond. The woman, women reacted, the waiter responded. Reactions are always instinctive, whereas responses are always well thought out. And here's a saying that you can put on your refrigerator. A person is not happy because everything is right in his life. He is happy because his attitude towards everything in life is right. You want me to repeat that? Let me just repeat it. A person's not happy because everything is right in his life. In other words, you can still be happy and not everything be right. A person is happy because his attitude toward everything in his life is right. And we can have a right attitude in everything that comes our way. You know, I, I kind of have a um, habit. I had to learn it. It definitely uh, is not, did not come natural. But I had to learn that if you handle 
every circumstance scripturally, you're going to come out on top. You're going to be happier. You're going to, the misery that uh, wrong attitudes bring in your life won't be there. You're going to have joy. You're just going to keep on going. And so that happens because, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, because we have an anchor for our soul. Brad talked about this last week. You that were here last week, you remember the anchor. He had a visual. He had an anchor. And uh, he talked about your soul. What is your soul? Your soul, this is where we have the problem. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's where our problems come. The battlefield is in the mind. Our emotions begin to take over. And then our will gets involved. And it moves our will in a direction that may be against what God's will is. So we have this soul. It's not our spirit. Our spirit is, was born again when, I mean, if you just said that prayer uh, just a few minutes ago, you are born again and it was your spirit that's born again. It's reconnected with God. But you still have the same soul that you had when you got up this morning. Your mind needs to be renewed. Your will and your emotions needs to be stabilized. So how are we going to do that? In the midst of these tests, trials, and tribulations. So put up uh, Hebrews. Uh, we're going to start in verse 18. This was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or deceive us, we who have fled to him for refuge in anything, any situation, might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement <clears throat> to grasp and hold fast the hope appointed for us and set before us. Next verse. And now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whoever steps out on it. A hope that reaches further and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. This anchor of our soul is not anchored on anything on this side of heaven. The anchor for our soul is, is beyond the veil. What is beyond the veil? It's the help of heaven on your behalf. That's where hope comes from. I, I have a picture of uh, someone whose soul is not anchored, and that is in Psalms 42, 11. It says this, why are you cast down, O my soul, or my inner self, the Amplified says. Have you ever experienced being cast down in your soul? I mean, that's kind of depression right there. Why should you moan over me and be disquieted within me? So a soul that is not anchored is going to be a soul that moans and groans 
and uh, complains and uh, whines and uh, thinks, poor me, uh, you know, I, I have it really bad, nobody cares, uh, whatever. You can write in your moanings, whatever you've moaned about. And is disquieted within me. There's turmoil in your soul. Have you felt that? I know you have. Because there's test trials and tribulations, and when they first come, it always seems to cause disturbance in your soul. It'll cause your emotions to get stirred up. And your mind will go crazy. I mean, all you have to do is lay down to go to bed. And oh my goodness, round and around and around and around. The poor me, and they did me wrong, and na da 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 da. And they need to do this, and they need to this, and they need to do this, and they need to do this. I need to fix this, I need to fix that. Well, next time I see him, I'm going to tell him, yes, I'll fix it. And you know how much turmoil that comes into your soul. But then the psalmist says, hey, stop just a minute. Hope in God and wait expectantly for him, for I shall yet praise him who is the help of my countenance and my God. Now this contrasts both. One that is, actually it, to me it looks like somebody that's stepped in, see somebody that's, or maybe it's just somebody talking to themselves, which I think it is. Hey, soul, now listen here. Why are you so cast down? You have no reason. I mean, self-talk is great. Most generally, you listen to yourself. Why are you so cast down? Soul, let me tell you something. You need to hope in God. What is the psalmist saying? Get a hold of your soul and anchor it somewhere besides where it's anchored right now in the problem. Turn around and anchor it behind the veil. Where God is. And then a soul that is totally anchored, Psalm 62.5. My soul wait only upon God and silently submit to him. For my hope and expectation are from him. You know, sometimes we get our expectation in people. And we, and we demand that they make us happy. And if they don't make us happy, we try to fix them. And it just doesn't work. I'm just going to ask you, how's that working for you? Is it bringing peace? Or does it bring turmoil? So the psalmist says, wait only upon God. Silently keep your mouth shut. Silently submit to him and quit going over and over and talking about the problem. Silently submit to God for your hope an expectation should be coming from him. So you say, okay, that sounds good, but that's easier said than done. I do know that. 
So let me just tell you how to anchor your soul. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. In the very middle of your storm, many times you think God doesn't care. But let me, uh, I have my handy little care ball here. Hold on just a second. Some of you might recognize this. Pastor Charlie actually invented it. It's, it's full of cares. It's got, oh, it's got clothes, eat, drink, job. Uh, tomorrow, past, problems, church, oh, wife, it's on here, husband's on here too, <laughs> he put short, <laughs> I know what that's all about, that can be a care when you can't reach the top shelf, but this, this is your care and you carry this around with you, and it's a burden, it's a burden, but, but, uh, Paul said, I mean, Peter says, you're supposed to cast it over on the Lord. Okay. All right, I'm going to take all my cares, and I'm going to anchor it behind the veil. Y'all pray for me right now, okay? Oh. So, oh, hallelujah. I am so, so, so free. I, I don't have a care in the world. Uh, and then you go to bed. And then all of a sudden, ah! oh, here it comes again. Ah! Yeah, but you know, who's going to take care of that situation if I don't? If I don't stand up for myself, who's going to stand up for me? And so... Uh, you take the care again. Guess what follows? Moaning and disquiet. Once again. And then you say, oh soul, now listen. Why are you cast down? Why don't you trust in God? Okay, we'll do it again. This time I'm going to do my classic um, hook shot. This time it's going to stay. Don't you come back. We cast our cares over on the Lord. And we see an example of that uh, in Acts, the 27th chapter. You remember Paul was in the middle of a storm. Now, he had told these guys. He says, you know, if you take off right now and we sail, it's going to be with much hurt and we're going to lose the ship. And they said, eh, what do you know? So they took off. And sure enough, they got in this terrible storm. Now, in the middle of this terrible storm, the Bible tells us they went like for 14 days in this storm. And it, all hope 
that they would be saved was gone. So here they are in the very midst of a hopeless situation. And I'm going to turn there because uh, there's a few things that I want to draw out of this to relate to how we can, what we can do in the middle of a storm. Because we see an example of Paul as he stands up before these men. Verse 21, they had eaten nothing for a long time. And Paul came forward in their midst and said, men, I love, I like this. This shows that Paul was human. You should have listened to me. I told you so. You should not have put out to sea, etc. You brought this disaster and harm and misery and loss. He was a teacher, you know. Learn a lesson from this, he says. But even now, you see, he had gone beyond the veil. His hope was beyond the veil, and he had got a word from beyond the veil. And he said, now I want you to be in good spirits. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only for of the ship. For there, then he talked about the angel that stood with him and said these things. And he said, so don't be frightened. That's what the angel said. It's necessary for you to stand before Caesar. And behold, God has given you all those that are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith. Complete confidence. What did we learn confidence with? It's hope. Confident hope. I have hope, we could say this, in God that it will be exactly as it was told me. And then uh, they, uh, just a little while later, verse 30, the sailors, some of the sailors didn't really trust Paul. And so they snuck around and they were pretending to lay out anchors for, anchors for the bow, from the bow, and they were going to get in the lifeboat and get away. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now this is what happens sometimes in the midst of a storm that you might be in, or a trial or tribulation. You you're tempted to take things in your own hands and do it your way instead of God's way. Well, you know what they wound up doing? They wound up cutting that lifeboat loose and letting it go. That was their only human source of deliverance. But Paul said, if you, if you don't keep your soul anchored with what God said, it's not going to be well with you. And so they waited, uh, and, and so they, they did cut it off. And you, I, I haven't read this part, but just before this, they had thrown out uh, overboard... Uh, the freight, the wheat, the ship's tackle, and the furniture, all of that that was in the ship, they had to throw it out. And you know, I see this happening in the midst of sometimes when we are trusting God, sometimes we have to get rid of some of our baggage to lighten the weight 
I know that the storms that I've been through on the, over these 46 years, every storm that I went through that I anchored my soul behind the, behind the veil, I came out with less baggage than I had when I went in. And uh, so, they fi Paul finally convinced them to eat. And you know, hope is contagious. Hopelessness is contagious as well. But hope was contagious and they begin to eat. And verse 44 said, and the rest, some of them swam. You know, the, the ship broke up. They all got into this, went into the sea. But some swam, but some rested on heavy boards or pieces of the vessel, which is what I would have had to do, because I can't swim. And so it was that all escaped safely to land. A good ending. Why did that happen? Because there was one man on board that had hope behind the veil. His mind, his will, and his emotions were anchored on what hath God said. You cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong when you find out what God's plan is, what his word says about your circumstance. It will not fail. God's word will not fail. We, we read, he cannot lie. He has, he has a word for you. It may just be a word out of this word for you. He may speak it into your ears. But he has a word for you and it is your anchor. If you anchor your soul to that, don't let your soul fly, frail, flail around and go from this side and this side and anchor it. So I want to close with, um, <clears throat> I, I like this scripture in Ro Romans 8, 25. It says, but if we hope for what is still unseen by us, now that's really what hope is. Once you see it, you don't have to hope for it anymore. It's already there. But if we hope for what is still unseen by us, listen, we wait for it. With patience and composure. Hmm. Maybe that would leave some of us out. Patience is where we, we, have, we stay steady. We're not moved by circumstances. We don't succumb to depression while we're waiting. We wait cheerfully, and we wait with composure. Hmm. We don't jump around like the woman with a cockroach. We become, we, we women can become drama queens, I just want you to know. Uh, but composure, because we, our soul is anchored behind the veil. We're waiting. So I want to end with, um, actually I have two scriptures. 
Proverbs 23:18. This is just to encourage you. For surely there is a latter end, a future and a reward, and your hope and expectation shall not be cut off. Do you trust God? Can you trust God? You know, we have to all answer that for ourselves. Is God trustworthy? Does he have your best interest at heart? Well, Peter says he does. He says he cares for you affectionately. You know, if you care for your children or whoever you care for, maybe grandchildren or whatever, if you care for them expectantly, you do anything for them. Affectionately. If you care for them affectionately, you'd do anything for them. You'd lay down your life for them, which God did through Jesus. So we do have a hope. So I want to end with uh, Lamentations, the third chapter. I want to start with verse 21. But this I recall, and therefore have I hope and expectation. It is because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness that we are not consumed because his tender compassions fail not. They are new every morning. This is a new day. Every morning they're new. They're new every morning. Great and abundant is your stability and faithfulness. The Lord is my portion or my share, says says my living being or my soul, my inner self. Therefore, because of all this that went before, I hope in him and I wait expectantly for him. The Lord is good. The Lord is good to those who wait, hopefully, and expectantly for him. To those who seek him. Inquire of and for him and require him by right of necessity and on the authority of God's word. It is good that one should hope in and wait quietly for the salvation, the safety, and the ease of the Lord. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.